the heart of art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Hector Nino. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. And you know how we start off with our art announcements first. And for our first art announcement, we have uh, the Brenham's Children's Chorus. We'll be presenting Why We Sing and At the Bandstand. And this will take place Saturday, May 14th at 2 p.m. Uh, at the Dr. W.W. O'Donnell Performing Arts Center in Blinn College. This is going to be a great event. Um, so I encourage you guys to go check this out. Um, and for our second art announcement, we have Michael Peterson, who is a tenor singer. He has a master's in voice from the University of Illinois and is currently the choir director at Rudder High School. Uh, he's going to be the featured soloist for the Plus Music Series uh, this Sunday, May 15th at 2 p.m. at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church. Uh, entrance will be free, so make sure you go and check this out. And for our last art announcement, I wanted to give an open call reminder uh, that I am still looking for artists here in the Brazos Valley. I don't know everyone here, uh, so I need your help in order to recruit some artists. If you know of anyone or you yourself are an artist, make sure to email theheartofart@tamu.edu, and we can schedule a quick interview. A quick 15 to 20 minute interview is all I need. So uh, yes, I encourage you guys to please email if you know of anybody. Thank you so much. And for today's show, we will be speaking to Jen Korolenko, uh, who is the Curator of Education for the Forsyth Galleries here at uh, Texas A&M, located in the MSC. And we have an interesting conversation about art and how important it is for children to uh, learn from an early age about art. Um, yeah, hope you enjoy. Hello, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Today in the studio, we have a very special guest. Her name is Jennifer Korolenko, but she likes to go by Jen. And she's currently the Curator of Education and Public Programs at University Art Galleries and Forsyth Galleries. Hi, Jen. How are you today? Hello, Hector. I'm good. How are you? How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited for a conversation today. I actually had Liz Appleby here a couple months ago for my first episode. Yeah. And that was a really exciting time. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Awesome. I'm excited too. Awesome. Um, well, I like to start off by going over the background of my guests first and see where their love for art began. Sure. So I wanted to ask you, where is home for you? Home for me is actually Trenton, New Jersey. So quite a, a, a long distance from Aggieland. Yes, very much so. And is that where your love for art began? It is. Um, I was kind of an odd duck in my family. Uh, I was a big reader and writer and doodler, I guess, mm -hmm. until I picked up paints in my teenage years, I guess. Uh, no one else in my family really had a particular interest in art or music or anything cultural. And I know that sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I come from a big a really big Italian and Irish family on the East Coast. So everybody is about cooking and 
eating and talking really loud and projecting their voices. Yes. Um, not necessarily about going to the opera or taking a stroll through a museum. But my parents were incredible. Um, they were kind of like, we don't get you, but we support you. Yes, my parents were exa the exact same yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, they don't really think they have time for the arts, but... <laughs> right, right. My mom has taken me to so many museums where I've pointed out, like, very enthusiastically, some squares inside of squares, like a Joseph Albers kind of situation, and I'm geeking out about it, and she's just nodding her head and smiling politely, like, when's lunch? This is yeah. not... Okay. She's there for yeah. you. She's there for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah. emotional support. <laughs> I saw that you uh, got your Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Art Teacher Education yes. right? from the College of New Jersey. I did. I was wondering, uh, why did you decide to pursue art education and why not like art or education alone? Well, I think it was from a practical point of view. I was a person who graduated from high school and I didn't take time off after high school, but I did transition to a community college situation and knew that my focus was going to be art generally. Um, but the practical way to pursue that with my socioeconomic standing, um, I'm a first generation college student. Neither of my parents even have uh, high school diplomas, technically. Um, so the struggle to just get to college was a bit more, I think, than, than the average person. Definitely. Um, and in that way, I kind of had to look at how am I going to support myself immediately upon graduation, mm -hmm. not necessarily how am I going to work my way into a job doing free internships and, and residencies and things like that that don't pay a cost of living. Right. I'm like, at the end of the day, I needed to eat. So right. that mm -hmm. is the direction I practically pursued. Okay. I understand. <laughs> I've, I've been on the same boat. Yeah. Um, I was wondering about the art scenes in New Jersey and Texas and like how they differ. Um, yeah. Do, do you have anything? Uh -huh. That's a really good question. I think uh, the Northeast, while it is a smaller geographical location, mm -hmm. um, you know, I come from an area where I'm basically in that like little armpit part of New Jersey. That's like in the little curve uh -huh. on the inside part yeah. and not near the ocean. Um, so Basically, we call ourselves the tri-state area, and that's basically just New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. So while Trenton not necessarily didn't have a huge art scene that I discovered until probably like my late teens, early 20s, um, I had access to the tri-state area. So I was able to visit New York and Philadelphia and hubs of cities right. like that. Um, the art scene here in Texas is kind of similar insofar as there are, like, metropolitan hubs of art and culture mm -hmm. within the state of Texas. Okay. And then there are also pockets of weird that we like to sprinkle throughout. And I think the same is true for the tri-state area. Okay. Those pockets of weird. I'm yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So from New Jersey, you came straight to Texas or was there an in-between? Uh, there was, I actually, I actually applied for Teach for America, like when I was, uh, almost 30, I guess. Okay. Um, and that, that was when I was thinking I was going to go back from museum education and do K-12 again. Um, and I did do that for a while. Um, but it just wasn't, it wasn't where I was most flourishing. We'll put it that way. All right. Yeah. Um, so I decided that museum education was truly kind of my calling and something that I really excelled at and was able to manage 
and balance and still be creative. So I decided that that was the career path I was going to pursue permanently. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you took that leap. Um, and I can see through your background that you are very invested in the relationship between education and art. Yes. I was wondering, uh, why do you think it's important for children to learn about art? Or what do you think it, it does for them? I think art generally helps people express themselves in ways in which they have difficulty communicating, whether that be verbally, whether that be in a written capacity, whether that be visually. And it's a symbiotic relationship between the artist and the viewer and society and the artist. And that constant flow of conversation and flexibility has always been so, so interesting to me. And you just see people open up when they're exposed to art. And the same is true. It's easy to get, you know, to get a five-year-old to say, wow. I mean, that's incredibly easy. Mm-hmm. But the problem with not being exposed to the arts at incredibly young ages when they're developmentally more impressionable, let's say, when you're, form- you're forming who you are through your experiences, nature, nurture, all that stuff, Um, But having the tool of creative problem solving, creative thinking, just creative curiosity to explore more, to learn more, it kind of fosters that whole lifelong learning element that we're now pushing in society to realize, okay, so we've met pretty much mostly everyone's basic needs. Like you don't have to go and hunt an animal to eat at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do with the spare time that we would normally be like running away from from predators in the wild? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. that is where the arts can help us to really strive and to really be successful and to get outside of our comfort zones because that is incredibly important, I think, to be a well-balanced and not necessarily logical person, but a person who can hold a debate when it comes to many topics throughout their lives. So I think it's just a really helpful and intuitive tool that we all have in us. Yeah, I feel like it helps reinforce like your own ideas and makes them stronger as well. So thank you for doing that for children. In our oh, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I love being a goofball. Like <laughs> story time is my favorite time of year and it's coming up soon. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, I was wondering, um, as curator of education and what does that exactly entail? Okay, so curating, we I think we use that word curate and curating, like the act of curating, mm-hmm. um, pretty heavily in today when we're talking about ourselves as influencers, as creators, as makers generally, as that has gone beyond the classroom and beyond the artist as um, someone who's working within their practice. It's something that everyone does. They curate their Instagram. They curate their liked TikTok videos. They curate who they text their TikToks to, you know, like who you share them with. Yeah. Um, so the act of curating is basically just selecting the things in which speak to you or hold information in which you would like to find more about and then kind of creating a narrative around it. So the curator will select the objects that they want for a specific art show or an exhibition rather and they will also create a sort of theme um, based on those objects. And that can be really, really obvious. Like maybe we do everything that has a flower on it for this exhibition. Mm -hmm. 
But where my job starts to get come into play in the process of curating in a museum um, environment is that I then take those themes and this academic style writing, which curators classically will write very academic style uh, papers and labels and things of that nature. Uh, my job is to then digest that information and make it accessible for the average person. Okay. So... If, I don't know if you've ever had a prof who used to tell you to, to write to, you know, the reading level of like a fifth grader or something like that, which is generally what people are. Mm -hmm. um, it's about that, but it's also about making it content in which people want to create, be, um, want to consume rather, because we are so bombarded with that kind of thing. Um, it's my job to go through not only the objects, but the techniques, the artists, their lives, their misadventures, their successes. And also the context of social um, social matters that were within the context of the time period and make that all digestible and more easy to understand for somebody who's just going to walk in off the street. And I assume that you know nothing. That's my assumption when I talk to anyone about any piece of art. Awesome. I'm assuming that you know nothing and I will meet you where you are. Right. Okay. And I was wondering about... Um those themes that you have at Forsyth Galleries, do they follow a certain, like, theme? I think it's very individual in, in a lot of ways. I mean, we're all, we're professionals, obviously, but we're mm -hmm. in this field because at some point in our lives, we were moved by art, interested in art, whatever your, your reason for being there is. Mm -hmm. um, and along with that, you have your certain tastes, right? Just like certain museums have different collections, that's kind of like the taste of whoever donated that collection to the museum. So, for instance, okay. the Forsyth has late 19th, early 20th century art. Um, so that's a lot of English cameo glass. We have an excellent collection, um, one of the best in the country, as a matter of fact. Mm. Um, and we also have thousands of pieces of decorative art glass and a really great collection of American paintings, which include Impressionism and uh, some Western genre paintings, some Native American portraits, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, the reason we have such a specific scope of collection is because Bill and Irma Runyon, who bequeathed, endowed, left their collection to Texas A&M, um, they left their entire estate to us. So this was the taste of two people who spent their lives collecting these objects. And that is a lot of the way that objects end up in museums, when people have collected their whole lives, cared for these objects, and then give them to a museum. So you basically have to pick from the crayons you already have in your box, basically. Okay. And then find what stands out to you. So when you look at a picture by Remington, for instance, and you see a guy on a horse in a desert, which is pretty common. Mm -hmm. What aspects of that do you want to know more about? Are you interested in the technique? Are you interested in who's sitting on the horse? Are you interested in the guy who painted the horse? Yeah. Are you interested in how accurately the man on the horse is portrayed historically? There are just so many different routes you can take just by looking at a very specific genre that may not even be your specialty. Mm-hmm. Wow, so there's a lot of liberty when you do get these. Um... There is, I think, because it's a lot of it's storytelling essentially. Mm -hmm. Like arts and culture are considered entertainment forms, mm -hmm. um, and not just like societal supplements that keep us like thriving as a as a species. Um, yeah, so there has to be like a little a little bit of intrigue involved, I think. Hmm. 
All right. I wanted to ask you um, something a little more personal. What are some pieces that have inspired you? Might have been like have seen at Forsyth or something that um, made you want to pursue art even? Well, I think generally, um, I think the moment that I decided that art was going to be my career, that I was going to teach people about art, is actually when I started speaking to people in public about art. Hmm. So in college, when I was having to take classes and do critiques and things like that, uh, I took a conceptual art course. And that really took me outside of my comfort zone in thinking that art was about a physical object, not necessarily an experience. Hmm. And it was all about doing a technique perfectly, about perfecting a craft rather than exploring like an element of human behavior. So for me, what I found really interesting was how artists were able to, in contemporary and conceptual art, were able to almost recreate certain human experiences in a gallery setting. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, there was an artist um, who did this, I don't don't wanna misspeak her name, but she designed these little, almost, I, I want to say, to say, to call them dioramas is really an understatement. But it was, you looked into this tiny box and when you stuck your eyes in, you looked and it looked like a movie theater and, um, and it was quiet and you had headphones on. So you're looking into this box, you're in a gallery, you're looking into this weird plain black box. And when you look in, there's a movie playing and it's not anything specific. It's just images flashing here and there. But then you start to hear in surround sound through your headphones a cough, a shuffle, someone sighing. So it sort of recreates the experience of just going to the movies, but you're not at the movies. Right. You're at the Met or wherever you are, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's just so interesting. It's like time travel. Like, what is this witchcraft that (laughs) we're. Like a portal. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think that that element just kind of really opened it up to me. And it's like, art just doesn't have to be an image Hmm. it can be so much more than that and as things develop and as we develop as a people um it's only going to get more and more interesting and exciting definitely i'm excited for that for what's coming in the future (laughs) um speaking of the future do you have any future projects in the horizon that you'd like to be a part of or that you already have on your timeline uh right now I'm kind of in a transitional period like I feel like it's the calm before the creative storm in a, in a matter of speaking. Mm-hmm. I mean I'm an um, I'm a working artist myself personally. So you kind of get this feeling like you're wanting to make things like you start to nest a little like I start to gather supplies. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of like keep it for for the time when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel something in the air and I've started kind of playing with pop culture imagery and digital mediums a bit more than I normally would. And that's really exciting. Um, But I'm also using this opportunity where you can acknowledge that you're getting a bit of creative energy coming your way um, that I can then go and support my friends who are creatives and go see what they're working on and what they're doing and talk about their process with them. That's That's really, really helpful as well. Awesome. And any upcoming important dates for Forsyth that you think our audience should know about? I would say stay tuned for the entire month of summer. We have quite a few exciting things coming up, including story time, which is for the little guys. We're talking babies to about 
three or four. I've had kids as old as seven or eight come, but those are kids who are like repeat customers. Right. Like they've been coming for years. Yeah, they know the experience. They know already. the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's great. It's free. Um, you bring your littles. We uh, look at a – we read a book projected on our big screen in our gallery um, because we usually get quite a few participants. And then we'll do an art project related to the book that we've read, whether that's about an artist or about just – thinking creatively or about being who you are that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and then i just we just kind of hang out and we listen to music and we make things and we look at the paintings in the galleries or the things that are in the cases um and then after that for people who are not in diapers we have right. um a series of programs coming up in collaboration in partnership with living well at texas a&m and that'll be a series of sessions taught by me. Um, One will be on creative um, self-exploration. So mapping memory will be one of them. The next will be on inspirational art. So like the question you asked earlier, I'll touch on some art and artists who have really, really inspired me um, to pursue that lifelong learning thing that's always being spoken to us in the education field. Right. Um, And then we're going to do a session based on the five senses, which will include taste. I'm not going to tell you how that's going to work, but you're going to make art and you're going to taste it. Yeah. Keep them on their toes. Yeah. Yeah. And and then one on just being mindful about creating, Um, kind of like guided meditation, but the creative process. All right. And if people want to learn more about these events, where could they search up those details? They could go to uart.tamu.edu. Mm-hmm. Or um, if they have specific questions or something they're interested in learning, I'm always available through that same website. That's ur.tamu.edu. Just click on the staff section any old time and you can find my email. Awesome. Um, during my research for this interview, I was actually, I came across that you can also um, reserve the gallery for an event. Absolutely. We wow. do reserve the gallery for Texas A&M departments and also student groups. Anybody is affiliated with the university, that can be done to hold an event. Awesome. But we also have done and designed private experiences for people. That can be anything from a tour to a workshop to a scavenger hunt. Um, oh. Basically, anything you can dream up, we can make it happen in some capacity for you. All you need to do is reach out. All right. Well, you heard it here. Reach out to the University Art Galleries and they will work with you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jen. I think that's the end of our interview. Um, Thank you for all you do for the university as well. And just thanks for stopping by. I learned so much. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Anytime. Hello, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to The Heart of Art. I'm your host, Hector Nino, and alongside me in the KMU studios is a very special guest. Uh, she was actually one of my professors in back in the spring of 2018. Uh, her name is Diane Cahill Bedford, and she is currently the clinical professor in the dance science program here at Texas A&M and is a very decorated choreographer with uh, showings all over the U.S. If you'd like to check out her work, you can go to her website at dianecahillbedford.com. Hello, Diane. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Hector? Doing great. I'm excited for our conversation today. I haven't seen you in so long. (laughs) How have you been? Well, you know, like anything, it's always crazy and hectic and at A&M, but good overall. Just lots of changes on the front now with uh, the university establishing a school of visual and performing arts. So that's exciting to see where that'll go. But 
Yes. Um, so I saw you went to Florida State University. Are you originally from Florida? Mostly. My family moved to Florida when I was about 10 years old. Mm. My mom was a nurse, and she was transferred to a hospital there. And so I mainly say that I grew up in Florida. I didn't come from a military family, but I did move around a lot. All right. Okay. <laughs> but Florida is definitely the longest place that I live besides Texas. Mm, okay. Um, would you say that your love for dance started in Florida? Oh, no. Actually, I started dancing when I was four years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Very so, young. yeah, it just, it grew, obviously, um, as I got older and became more serious about it. But I'd been dancing for a long time. And I think it was probably about middle school, I decided, okay, I really want to be more serious about this and take on more lessons and more training. All right. So it was pretty early on because, I mean, your bachelor's was in dance and English literature, correct? Yes. And then a master's in dance performance and choreography. So you really, you knew what you wanted to do and you went for it. Yes. Um, <laughs> what type of research did you do for your master's? Well, the MFA that I completed at Florida State University again, as you said, was an emphasis on performance and choreography. Mm -hmm. One of the areas that I was most interested in exploring was dance and technology. Okay. So it's not necessarily a track that is written on the degree, but there are lots of different tracks that you can pursue, and that was of interest to me. So being able to combine dance with specialized projection design, um, camera work, dancing for the camera, dance film, and just a whole different slew of how we incorporate technology with dance to kind of make these total theater pieces, if you will. Right. So that was a big proponent of my work there and a big area of interest that I like to explore. I feel like I've seen a little bit of that because I do remember seeing your uh, show Aurora Borealis. Yes. It was lights and props and it was, it was awesome. Yes, thank you. <laughs> of course. Um, okay, well, let's move on and segue a little bit more into dance itself. Um, and my first question here is, why do you dance? Oh, gosh. I Well, part of it, as I said, I grew up dancing. Mm -hmm. But I think that for me, I don't know any other way that I feel the most expressive of who I am. I really just become absorbed in the music and the feeling and the artistry of movement and what I can convey to the audience, what kinds of thoughts can I stoke in them and just being able to share that, that part of myself just feels like there are no words and there is a famous quote about that from a choreographer named Doris Humphrey it says there's just sometimes there are no words and that's why I love dance is just for that medium of being able to fully express myself and the different sides of my interest and take on characters and just being able to connect with audience members and connect with myself. I think we're running out of time, uh, but thank you so much for coming in, Professor Bedford. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming in. Uh, I learned so much and I, I bet the audience did too. Well, I really appreciate you having me and it's really fun to share this and hopefully it just gives people a little new light. So thank you for having me. 
All right, you guys, that is the end of our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And a big thank you to Jen Kurilenko for stopping by and educating us a little bit about what she does at the University Art Galleries. Um, also, a big thank you to uh, Dr. Diane Cahill Bedford, who um, was that second interview that we heard. And I did want to give you guys a reminder of the email, uh, theheartofart at tamu.edu, if you know of any artists or um, you yourself are an artist that is willing to come in and to the KMU studios and be interviewed. I would really appreciate it. So, um, thank you guys so much for tuning in and make sure to tune in next week for the next episode.